0: B based communication agency and Laura she's uh, a former journalist with BBC and uh, a big expert on uh, media but also in general on narrative buildings and uh, political communication and we have Pekka uh, Nurvala from uh, Manfred Weber team uh, the European People's Party at quarter so I'm very happy to have, uh, to have them as discussant of this. And uh, I would uh, uh, go on with a first question to you. I say uh, first question, which is more related to, uh, to the first uh, um, study. And uh, I would like to, to ask you, uh, which of, those, of these items, or like with these uh, institutions, or causes, or, or entities, or whatever you want to call them, do you deem at least partly responsible for the Euro crisis? So when I was saying that you can start to vote, you will start to vote. I want to show the the final result, but you can start to vote now. And uh, we'll see the results later. I hope that more people vote also remotely. It's only 12 people that voted so far. I guess that we are a little bit more than 12. And um, we'll keep the vote on for, uh, for a few seconds more. But I won't show the, the final results because I want to show it afterwards. Um, so you can continue to vote still for say, 10 more seconds if you haven't votes. 10, nine, seven, eight, no. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and I close the voting now. We're going to see the results later on. Um, and now, related to the second research, where uh, where they asked to national politicians uh, which. EU policies, I mean, which policies should be reinforced at the EU level, or should, which policies should have more competences at the EU level? Uh, I would like to ask the same question to you. Uh, in a second, we are going to to see the um, the Slido panel, the Slido poll, if my colleagues from uh, the regime here you go. So in which of those areas would you like the EU to have more competen- competencies? And I launch the vote now. You can start to vote now. What's the, what's the code number again? The code number is over there. It's hashtag 8233.
1: 8233. You you vote more than one in terms of, uh, of uh, competence only one?
0: You can vote more competences. Same thing. You can vote more than one. For more
2: than, yeah. For all of them.
0: Exactly. So you can keep voting. I uh, don't want to show the results as before, so I ask uh, my colleagues to take off the, the screen and go back to uh, the main uh, the main slide, please. Right. Good. So you can still vote for twenty more seconds or something like that. At 10, I will start the countdown, as we did before. So 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. And I close the voting now. Good. So uh, at... We are going to get back to the results afterwards. uh, We are going to to see what you voted after we present the the results of the study, I would say, so that we we can a little bit compare what we find out uh, with the the research and the analysis to to the temperature in in the room. And uh, I I would quickly start with um, a very brief introduction to this first research, which, uh, which Actually, I contributed two together with uh, um, Herrick Muller from the University of Dortmund. Uh, and uh, I also asked my colleagues to, to put the slide on with the presentation of the research. And um, as I said before, uh, it's, it, it has been a research that uh, looked into uh, uh, historical trends in narrative building linked to the Euro crisis. And uh, the object of the analysis uh, uh, was to uh, inform the current debate on reforming the Eurozone governance, specifically. So therefore, again, a very strong link with the other research that we are presenting today. And to dig a little bit deeper into this blame game about who has been deemed responsible for the crisis and the consequences related to it. And... uh, this is a little bit the data and methodology that we used. So uh, it's more than 50,000 newspapers article on a spam of uh, 10 years time between 2007 and 2016. Uh, you have the breakdown of of, uh, of how many articles for for uh, for each of the newspapers. We considered La Stampa in Italy, Le Monde in France, El Pais in Spain, and Süddeutsche Zeitung in. Um, in Germany, the idea was uh, 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 to pick up newspapers which were somehow um, representative of, uh, I mean, they are elite newspapers, that that is a matter of fact, but also trying to see through these newspapers that are comparable in terms of points of view, how um, how basically public opinion is filtered through, so we can use the newspapers both as a proxy to measure uh the public opinion on the certain topic but also they are somehow transmitting the narrative to the public opinion so there is like this two-way uh mechanism uh one from one side, a certain representativeness of the newspaper in terms of what kind of narrative is in the country or is portrayed by politicians, but on the other hand, there is also an influencing aspect about how the way uh, something is reported is having an impact on the way that the politicians are are having certain perceptions on um, I won't go too much into the details of the methodology, but it was a semi-automated methodology. So we used uh, uh, big data analysis and textual analysis with uh, an algorithm, but then we had, uh, uh, the research phase had to have a qualitative uh, uh, screening about, uh, about each of the topic. And to go very quickly to give you an overview uh, for each of, uh, of these newspapers, we looked at uh, all the articles that were linked to the economic crisis in 10 years, And we tried to extrapolate which topics, first on a neutral manner, were closely associated with the world crisis. And we found out that actually topics that were associated with the euro crisis were somehow... For certain aspects they were similar, but for the others were different. And you can see here, from uh, from from uh, from these graphs, uh, one for each of the newspapers, how those were the top topics that we uh, that we analyzed on the on the spam of uh, of uh, basically ten years time. And you can see that, for example, for Süddeutsche Zeitung, investment banking at the beginning of the crisis, but also ECB was uh, was picked up very very. Up, but then when uh, the Greek debt crisis uh, uh, came in, and also where the situation of the German economy after the initial shock of 2008, but towards 2009 was going much better, the, the, the level of the discussion was, uh, was kind of different, you know. Um, I'll go later on to see what was the, this is like a neutral analysis about the frequency. Of the topics within uh, within the crisis, we are going to see afterwards uh, how those topics were uh, 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 blamed or not blamed, uh, and what kind of uh, uh, let's say more um, more analysis in terms of uh, what that what does it mean in terms of uh, uh, sentiment, you know, uh, as we can say so. So uh, that was for Suddeutsch. Le Monde for example, also has a big peak on the markets at the beginning and on banks in this in this case. But for instance, uh, it doesn't have a big uh, frequency on uh, European institutions or, or ECB, especially at the beginning of the crisis, which is different from before. And you can see that EU Southern Europe appears, not as evidently as Greece appears in uh, in. Um, uh, in, in the German newspaper, uh, while EU Germany as well is, is picking up towards the end of uh, towards the, the second part of, of the period considered. When we go to Italy and La Stampa, that's also very interesting. You, you can see that at the beginning, markets and bankings are not even mentioned, but ECB is strongly there. ECB is strongly there. Uh, but then, once that uh, the ECB starts uh, uh, to uh, a certain uh, proactive action, it really drops in the in the um, in the mentions. While political system, governments, or internal issues are still high up, and Germany, EU is also somehow uh, stable. Uh, within, the, um, within the thing. Um, let's go to El País, which I also think it's, um, it's very interesting to see how the topics already have. I mean, you can start to read a little bit the differences between the countries already just by seeing how the topics were mentioned. And you see that here banks again at the beginning, but then you have Spanish politics is super high, super high in the, in the mentions. And uh, Greece as well, it's, it's played along, as well as EU-Germany. The EU-Germany core is very similar to the one on Italy. So what does this mean actually on the blame game? what we did after after analyzing and uh, let's say uh, choosing the main topics on a neutral manner we created some sort of dictionary of uh, uh, to measure the accumulated blame basically uh, we uh, uh, had the capacity through the algorithm to measure who was deemed responsible for. So it was uh, going a step beyond the initial neutral analysis. And here you will see now in in the next slides, basically how the different topics were, were blamed. It's a little bit, uh, at first, you might, uh, you might be a little bit uh, scared about this, uh, this graph because uh, it looks uh, very complicated, but, uh, but it's not, not that complicated. So basically, you can see, uh, this is for Süddeutsche Zeitung, you, you can see that uh, the newspaper blames everyone else but Germany on, uh, on, the, uh, on the spectrum. Uh, and there is chief suspect being Greece and the ECB stressing the need to get back to the perceived status quo ante or stability and fairness. I mean, there is this narrative. It was this narrative throughout, especially the beginning of the crisis and throughout the, um, the crisis that uh, the, the, there was a, a uh, a status quo ante when there was uh, social market economy uh, in Germany and uh, Western Germany, specifically uh, context like uh, in the 80s, which was kind of praised as the reference point on, uh, on that point of view. Uh, what happens in uh, uh, France? It's very different, so they blame everyone, including French political class, but as we already suspected on the, on the, um, on the graph about the, the topics, they largely refrain from charging European institutions such, such as the EU and the ECB. Uh, We also should remember a little bit in that historical period we're speaking about from 2008, 2009, 2010. I mean, this is also before Draghi, and there is a French uh, leading the ECB. I mean not I mean there's something that plays around in terms of national politics and European politics and the perceived influence that uh, uh, the French establishment has towards the European politics. So I think that there are several of those kind of elements that uh, enters into the way the narrative has been built in uh, in the different countries. And you can see that uh, in in Italy very different scenario. So, uh, Italy seen, uh, La Stampa sees Italy as the victim of unfortunate circumstances Including the EU austerity measures promoted by Germany, but also its own politicians. So let's say that in Italy there is this sort of balance between uh, blaming the political class. We are remember that we are in the uh, really these ten years sees uh, a, a very problematic uh, and, and and turmoil in Italy. You know, you have like uh, the end of uh, the Berlusconi area. You have uh, uh, several other uh, governments that succeed that, and this is just. Because before the elections that brought to the situation that we have nowadays in Italy. But this is something that maybe we can reflect later on in the, in the discussion. Uh, but it's really preparatory, I mean, to me, to, to what happens then on the on the political scene um, just, uh, just one year ago. And then we go to El País. And uh, you can see that primarily El País blames Spain for misconduct. I mean, if you remember well, in the middle of 2000, just before the crisis, there was this period of bonanza. And uh, Spain was like there was like the the big bubbles, uh, also the real estate bubbles and so on, which played a huge role on what happened then in the financial crisis. So they're blaming themselves, but also a little bit all the rest, like there is a little bit of discourse, I mean, being Southern European and so on, but you can see that there is a real trend about about, uh, putting the finger of responsibility on their own, uh, uh, not only government, but also financial systems and speculation and so on. Well, basically this is, this is the, the, in a nutshell, a little bit what, what we found out in, in that research. and uh, uh, I think that we can uh, uh, continue that, that observations. I mean, it's, it's a good way for framing these 10 years of how uh, divergent they can be, you know, uh, national narratives, within the frame of a common problem that was the crisis uh, of the eurozone. Uh, let's see a little bit how you have uh, um, replied to to the question uh, on who you blame for the financial crisis before we we give the floor to Pierre. So you, you gave banking first responsible Greece and Southern Europe. That's very German of you. Um, economic system EU Germany 19%. There must be a, a lower threshold of uh, Italian and, and Greek people in the in the room. Um, I'm obviously, I'm also a little bit joking, and don't take my uh, my observations as uh, <laughs> as value as value propositions about one one member state or the others or they conduct during the financial crisis. But it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting, uh, and we are in Brussels, so we we don't blame the EU in Brussels, right? Because we are in the euro bubble. That's very good. No, it's very interesting to see that uh, that. Um, that, uh, that replies, and um, we, we can come back to this maybe later when uh, we go to the discussion. I would like to give the floor to Pierre now to uh, to go and, uh, and walk us through their own survey based more on the present. Just for a few seconds that we yes. manage with all the uh, those wonderful uh, technologies. So while,
2: while we set up the Voila. slides, thank you all for being here. And thank you, Bruegel, for hosting this event. So we are very happy to present these results on the, the view of French, German, and Italian member of parliament. So we ask the member of parliament of the national parliaments in France, Italy, and Germany about potential EU integration questions that I will show you. Mm-hmm. So I'm Pierre Boyer from École Polytechnique. And uh, we have the quotas. I will present them later on. Just to motivate a little bit in, in this room, it would not be very necessary. But we had the multi-crisis of European integration. And we really have now kick off of a comprehensive reform debate. And our view is that, well, let's try to see what member of Parliaments would think about the different issues. If they agree, maybe there is a path for more integration in some area. If not, um, maybe that could change. Or maybe this is really ingrained in nationality. But of course, we understand that having three countries, they are important countries. But this is just necessary, obviously not sufficient condition for having uh, potential reforms. And we would love to um, increase the number of of countries participating. We did the first survey in 2016 for France and Germany. And this time, we managed to add uh, Italy. And we are very happy about it. So next time, we hope to get more um, countries. So the team today, so as I said, this is a cooperation between four institutions. The Ecole Polytechnique in Paris, the Catholic University of Milan, the ZDW, and the University of Manet. And today, we have Massimo, Pier Giorgio, and Friedrich that are present. And Sebastian, Eckhart and Anasuya could not make it today. So, But for the questions, you can also uh, ask, and we will just have everybody answering your questions. So what is the survey about? As I said, this is a survey that was done in the national parliament. So in France, we asked members of the Senat and Assemblée Nationale. In Italy, we asked for uh, members of Camera dei Deputati and Senato della Repubblica, and in Germany, for the Bundestag. And the survey was made between September 2018 and January 2019. But I would say that most of the answers were there before Christmas, only few arrived later. So as you see, we sent out 2,575 questionnaires, and 328 got completed, which give us a response rate of 12.74%. So you have the breakdown for the different countries. One thing that I want to show and to tell you upfront is that, how representative is our sample with respect to the different parliaments? And what I can tell you is that for France and Germany, we are very positive And we think the sample we have is good in terms of representation. For Italy, we are a little bit worried because you had huge variation of the party who answered our survey. So for instance, for in France, you had um, uh, La République en Marche, the party of the, of the current French president, who answered around 16%. In Germany, for instance, the AfD had very strong answers. And we had 32% of the member of parliament from IFD who answered our survey. In Italy, for the current uh, member of uh, the governing party, the Cinque Stelle, the Five Star Movement, and the LEGA, we had five and six percent of responses. Right? So we will come back to this issue later on. So what is the structure of the survey? I'm gonna present you three parts. One on the more competency at the EU level in various policy areas. You already, Giuseppe, asked a question about this. So we will see your answer later on. Then we asked questions about reforms option for the Economic and Monetary Union, the EMU. And finally, we asked about institutional reforms in Europe. So how the answers were made, it's not exactly what you did today. We had a scale from minus four disagree or very negative, plus four agree or very positive, zero being uh, undecided. Let me mention that today we printed the policy, breath, uh, the policy brief. Sorry, It's online, but at the end of the presentation, you can get access to it if you want. We have some copy of it. Of course, uh, the survey, we did this properly. So we randomized the questions to avoid framing effect. And the results I will present you today are not the raw average of the results, but they are going to be weighted. So what these weights are doing, they are just increasing representativeness. So for instance, if in the French parliament, at the Assemblée Nationale the majority is uh, République en marche, if a lot of them answered, then that would really push the average in, a, in one direction. So we're going to reduce their weight. And on the opposite side, if we have a large party in parliament, like Cinque Stelle, who didn't answer a lot, we push a bit the average the response of these members to show the representativeness. But if you think this is complicated, all the results I will show you will have the same sign even if we did just the raw average. So don't think that this is a, a biasing the result in some dimensions. OK, so let's start with the five fields that you were answering before energy policy, immigration policy, defense policy, wage policy, and labor market regulation. So just to give you an example of how we ask the question, let me just read one question. And of course, you will get access to this question in the policy brief. Um, at the end of the presentation. So for instance, for immigration policy, the, the question is as follows. The EU should get a stronger role in immigration policy. For instance, decisions over admission standards or allocation of refugees. So you see, we frame the question in a general manner, so that when there are more delegation at the European level, it's not clear that it would go in one direction or the other one. It would depend on who has the majority at this particular time. So here are the first set of results. First, I show you the result for countries France, Germany, Italy. We put this order, this is the alphabetic order, and then I will break it down by parties. So, the first thing that you uh, can see is that for defense and, uh, oh, the pointer does not show on the screen. So, for immigration and defense, they are all positive for the three countries. So, this is um, a consensus in the three countries is that more European integration should be made in these in this, uh, two areas. And this is confirming results we had found in 2016 for France and Germany on this policy domain. So this is something that survived the uh, change in the majority in the, in the two parliaments. Second thing you see is for the three other areas, Italy and, and France are on the same side, on the positive side, and Germany is on the negative one. Right? So in particular, um, in Germany, they are strongly against um, more integration in terms of wage. So this is a question where we ask whether the EU should have the right to get more influence about wage policies, for instance, setting up the minimum wage. So and in Germany, there is disagreement. But now, let's see how we can break these results by parties. And here, the exercise we did is the following. We have seven columns. What we did is we took the national parliament member, and we match them with the group that would be in at the European level. And then we form a group. So for instance, if you look at the EPP, in this uh, result, you would have uh, Forza Italia, you would have the CDU, CSU, and you would have Les Republicans from the different parties right, that are, would be associated to this. SMD, then, then La République en Marche, AFD, Lega, and Cinque Stelle, we put them aside because they have either change of uh, position on the European level or they have no uh, counterpart at the European Parliament currently. And this is, we found this interesting to show what they are. In the others, we don't want to frustrate anybody. We did this because we had not enough answers to show for all the parties. right? And we, are, we were engaged to respect confidentiality, so we could not show um, results if we didn't have enough answers. So what you see now, the first striking thing is IFD is consistently very negative, knowing that the lowest scale is minus 4, you see that the IFD is almost uh, very close to minus 4 for all these areas. Then you see that um, the S and D are more positive for all the areas, followed by La République En Marche, who are very close to this. What you also see is that for the EPP, they are positive, um, but less strongly than the SED and La Repubblica Marche. And they are negative for the wage policy. So finally, for the current member of uh, governing, uh, the, the government in Italy, uh, Lega Cinque Stelle, what you see is that um, they are on the opposite side for all these answers, Lega being negative on all of them, not as strongly as AfD, but um, negative on them, whereas Cinque Stelle, uh, member of parliament, are on the positive side on this. So now, if we move to the uh, EMU policy and reform option, what did we ask about? So the first bullet point is associated to risk sharing. We ask about whether it's a good idea to create a European unemployment insurance, whereas it's a good idea to have euro bonds, or whether they agree or not with the ECB quantitative easy policy. Then the second bullet point is about what should be done in member states. Higher national investment, labor market flexibility. So as you see, higher national investment is more of a demand-side type policy, whereas labor market flexibility is more like structural reform. So demand versus supply-side policy, what politicians think we should be doing. Then we ask about whether we should soften the stability and growth pact. New EMU institutions that refer to euro-area budget, whether we should have one, or European finance minister. And finally, we ask about the completion of the banking union by having a European deposit insurance scheme, whether we should have this or not. What are the results at the country level? The first thing is that you have a very strong and positive support for higher investment. This is, again, something that we found for France and Germany in 2016. It's a confirmation. All of the three countries agree on this. This is the first uh, um, on, the, on the left. And what you also see is that for the more flexible labor markets, there is no... Um, agreement on this, and they are all negative, let me mention that this is the only question for which this is not statistically different from zero. So you can read this result that it's a zero. So basically, for France, Germany, and Italy, currently, they think we should be doing more demand side than supply side policies. Now, if we move to um, the three other categories, EUI, Eurobonds, and ECB asset purchase, remember that this has a feeling of risk sharing. And what you see is you have really the French and Italian on one side and the German on the opposite side, right? So the Germans don't want to get a, a, a EUI, a European insurance um, scheme, unemployment insurance scheme, euro bonds, or ECB assets. What you see is that this is different from the stability and growth pact softening. And this is something interesting. In France and Germany now, they think we should not soften the stability and growth pact, without this is strongly supported in Italy. The next issue about the new EMU institution, you see that it's, again, France and Italy on one side and Germany on the opposite. So when we ask this question, we didn't think this way, but um, exposed, we have the feeling that maybe um, this new EMU institution, the euro Area budget, got uh, seen by the Germans as, again, some risk sharing, and they oppose this. And finally, for the completion of the um, banking union, you see that France and and Italy are in favor, and Germany is not in favor, but it's not very negative here, and let me just break it up front. Actually, for Germany, if we take this average without the IFD, that would be positive, okay? And actually, this is the case only for two um, questions, this one and another one I will tell you later. So it's not, the negative sign is not driven only by the IFD, that's what I wanted to mention. Okay, so now if we break it by party groups, there were too many questions, so we did this table. So here, what you see is, um, for the column 4, the IFD is strongly against um, most of the things, almost all of them, not the more, labor, more flexible labor market, so it's not very negative. So you could um, ask questions about this. We discussed this with Frederic earlier, but the past of the IFD being um, created by by econ professors and maybe this created some 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 favor for having labor more structural reforms and things like that. You also see that um, the IFT oppose the higher investment, but not as strongly, whereas all the others are very positive. So what you can also see is that for the Lega and Cinque Stelle now, they are on the same side for all answers, except the new EMU institutions that are opposed by the Lega and favored by the Cinque Stelle. And if you look at the uh, s and and EPP, you see again that the SND are strongly uh, in favor of all areas except more flexible labor market. So here we really pick the ideology left, right, because you see that the EPP is in favor of this. Is against uh, an, um, uh, European unemployment insurance, is against a softening of the stability and growth pact. Like the Republican March. And this is also interesting. You see that for the softening of the uh, uh, stability and growth pact, La Republican March is against this, right? Whereas for the other questions, they are in line with the SMD. Final part of the survey about institutional reforms. So here we ask three different things. First one about um, the EU tax as the own resources. So let me read you this, this, this question, because I think um, this is um, um, an, an interesting an interesting question. So we ask whether there should be a new tax based on resources for the EU budget under direct control of the EU. OK, so this was a strong statement. And the second bullet point is about qualified majority voting in tax policy. And if you are following Bruegel events, you would realize that actually this is something that Pierre Moscovici pushed strongly last week uh, in this event, really saying that, arguing that we should be in favor of having qualified majority voting in tax policy. So let's see what the national parliamentarians think about this. And finally, we asked them about whether we should give the European Parliament um, the legislative initiative in these three uh, countries. So let's see the result. The first that is really striking for us is the agreement on giving the European Parliament initiative. So members of the national parliament in these three countries want the European Parliament to become a a, a more real parliament with this legislative initiative. And this is very strong support. So this is the questions that got the strongest support in all our questions. Second, you see that for majority voting in taxes, France and Italy are in favor, not very strongly, and Germany is mildly against. So this is the second question is, if you take the average of Germany without the IFD, that would be positive. But you see this, this is not very strong result. What's interesting is that actually there are a lot of heterogeneity between the members of the of the of the countries in terms of what they think about it. We will see this in the next slide. And finally, as EU tax as resources, you see that the French are very uh, are in favour of this, not so much in Italy and against in Germany. And if we break it by party, the first thing that you see is for the European Parliament initiative, all parties agree on giving this. And the IFD is slightly negative, but you see that they are really not very strongly against, as they are for all the other policy, including the two others, the majority voting in taxes and the EU taxes on resources. You see that the majority voting in taxes is not supported very strongly by the EPP, and they are against the EU taxes on resources, whereas the socialists are very much in favor of this, like the Republican March. And finally, for this question, you see that majority voting in taxes, the two governing parties Lega and Chico Estelle disagree on whether they should do it, whereas they agree to be against the EU taxes on resources. So just to wrap up, the first thing is, um The questions we ask are general, you will see if you take the policy brief at the end of this presentation. And as always, the devil is in the details. So when you get laid out exactly how would it work, there could be some disagreement. The second thing that I warn you is that we have some people, a sizable number of MPs that didn't answer. So we have to be careful about the representativeness of our survey. We have good news for France and Germany. And for Italy, we are still working on it. Whether that would be representative. Four key results um, take away here. The first is a large and confirmed consensus for more Europe in defense and immigration, and we will see what you think and what you thought we should be doing. The second one is we have a strong support on giving European Parliament legislative initiative, higher support in our survey, and more for demand side policy like higher investment. So this is in a continuation of, for instance, the push that was done even at the European level with the Juncker plan. right? So then the third point is we have dissenting view on the EMU setup. In particular, QE, Solidarity, EUI, and EMU institutions, where France and Italy are siding um, together against Germany, right? Whereas for the completion of the banking union, there is more hoping or we could be more hopeful to complete this and, and, and progress on this. And finally, the conservative MP are less favorable to our new instrument for EMU than the SND and the French and Italian governing party. Thank you very much for your attention.
0: Thank you, thank you very much, Pierre. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very curious to see uh, the results of, uh, of of the room about uh, about one of the questions that uh, that you just uh, illustrated. Yes, yeah, the first the uh, questions. Yeah, exactly. So let's see.
2: Okay. So
0: that's quite so immigration policy and defense, was and defense which it was the two first it's which two first and was the two first in your exactly. analysis exactly. as well exactly. so that's really really interesting and the wage
2: policy is the lowest one was also the
0: least and supported and labor market regulation yes. uh, yeah so that's that's very uh, that's very interesting and indicative i would say from from the room um, before we start the conversation and the, the discussion and reactions from our discussants, I would like uh, still to invite you to continue to use Slido for a, a slightly different exercise, especially for those that are not uh, participating uh, physically here, but they are remotely following on, uh, online. Uh, we have a section in the in the same Slido where you can ask questions. And uh, feel free to, to, to start putting questions on, uh, online on, on the Slido so that uh, we, can, uh, we can start uh, to prepare the, the conversation, the debate for afterwards. Uh, but I would like to give the floor to Laura to start uh, first reactions about uh, the studies and the, how do you see also the interrelation between uh, uh, these two different exercises, which uh, somehow have some commonalities and common ground. and and whatever else has sparked your attention?
3: Well, to to be completely honest, I thought there were incredibly interesting studies which yield incredibly complicated results in some respects. I mean, in some ways, the media narratives uh, first study was interesting, as you say, for the lack of a common story. And when it comes to shaping public opinion or making political decisions, narratives are hugely influential, far more so than facts. Um, and data when it comes to having an influence on how uh, politics and opinion uh, shakes down over years to come. And I think that's quite evident if you look at um, the media narrative, particularly in Germany um, in the run-up to, in the 10 years um, from the start of the Euro crisis, and then look at the response of the German politicians to steps towards more financial, fiscal, uh, monetary integration. It's not really surprising to see that there's more resistance on that side if um, the uh, SD, I mean, SED narrative is to be taken as representative of um, German public opinion as a whole. Because Germany, and as we are to believe it, and certainly German conservatives, place the blame squarely outside Germany. And in fact, what's interesting is that all of the narratives at a national level tend to be projecting the identity and the mood that the country is in at that particular point. So what I thought was interesting is that when uh, the German newspaper starts to blame the ECB, as is the point at which the ECB stops behaving in a very German way. Um, and that's quite interesting, because I'm sure that, and if you look at the Italian narrative, they start liking the ECB when it behaves in a less German way and in a more Italian way, and I do actually remember back in 2010 interviewing the former Charlemagne columnist uh, David Rennie when he was still in Brussels, and he was talking about one particular uh, day when the European Central Bank had uh, done a sort of round of quantitative easing, and he said, you know, today the the euro just got a lot more French and a lot less German, and that that stayed with me actually, and I think that that's something that we're certainly seeing playing out. So the relationship between that perception at a media level and a political level is there. I also think that then you get into the difficult area where you look at but if you look believe the national media narratives, then you get the complexity in what uh, Pierre's research throws up, because actually it does then break down along values and political lines rather than necessarily national lines. So in the two countries, France and Italy, which definitely had media narratives around national despair and general existential malaise into which you could project the Euro crisis, mm. you still have a large amount of support For further integration on certain issues, but not on other things. And these definitely fell, came down on party lines. But if you were to believe the media narratives, you would probably think everything's just a mess and there wouldn't be any support. So I think once you get to the sub level, it becomes much more complicated than perhaps the national stories um, portend. And then just beyond that, I do think one of the things that is interesting in all of this, I appreciate you didn't speak to Spanish. Uh, parliamentarians for this and it would have been very interesting I think to see those results because actually with the French and the Italian general despair we do blame our own political classes but we blame everybody else the Spanish story really is taking personal responsibility you know not victimhood in the way that the other two um, southern if I know France isn't southern but it kind of can be southern -southern, semi-southern countries you know, it would be interesting to see what the Spanish parliamentarians' reaction was because for ages everybody thought Spain was next. It was terrible austerity. There was a period where there was a huge amount of emotion. You know, we have seen then the fragmentation in Spanish politics as a result, and yet it's kind of disappeared in terms of being a difficult issue. And so there you do see, I think, a rela- you know the El País narrative of we we need to pay for our own mistakes in the past is very powerful, and it's kind of moved. Spain has done its dirty work, or not its dirty work. It's done the hard work, and it's moved out. So I think it would be very interesting if you can do this again and get the Spanish in. Because I think their attitudes around the integration argument going forward would be very interesting to hear from him. But I think the main one is is that stories are very difficult to shift when it comes to um, shaping political as well as public opinion. And I also think that going forward, if there are going to be more attempts to try and deepen EMU, it's going to be very, very difficult, because there isn't going to be a common story around it. And the whole idea about the Euro, which was that there would be common rules and there would be, you know, things like stability and growth pacts and there was stability and fairness and the whole idea that you would all play to the common rule book. Stories don't like that. Stories don't, you know, narratives don't, you know, pay attention to those kinds of things. And when you have politicians pushing certain narratives, it's very difficult to see in the current climate how you could get politicians with such diverse views, not just at a country level, but at a political level signing up. To something unless there is more of a convergence around the story and at the moment i'm not seeing that in here
0: thank you laura very very insightful you are um
4: thank you (laughs) Uh, to start with the basic disclaimer today i'm just like expressing purely my personal beliefs and opinions um none of this is uh, it's related to, to my to my employer. Um, <clears throat> yeah, to start with, so I started at EPP um, in October two thousand and fourteen uh, as the as the economic advisor, and by by summer two thousand and fifteen we were in the the peak of, of the first round of of the crisis with um, with Greece. And, and what Laura was just just um, just saying, she like reminded me of that time, because before every every Ecofin and, and every Eurogroup, the central ministers would come together to have a, a frank exchange, without diplomats and, and advisors present. And I remember thinking back then um, that for me it was striking how it seemed to me every now and then, not on all issues, but on certain issues that the ministers really did not see eye to an eye at all on why we were in the crisis in the first place, or why some of the countries that were in the crisis, um, how they had actually gotten themselves there. And, and that, to me, um, what you were saying was, was the striking thing. That for the time being, and, and still, it seems to me that we really don't have a common understanding of why we experienced the euro crisis. And since we don't have a common understanding, and to a large extent, polar understanding, where one part of the room is saying that it was purely due to domestic decisions, other part is saying that that was a systemic crisis that, yes, was maybe triggered by certain domestic actions, but then was inflamed and enabled by systemic factors. And since you have that that gap between the opinions, it's very difficult to agree on the set of corrective measures that we should actually actually adopt, whether we should then purely reinforce the rules or whether we should then actually make fundamental systemic changes how the, the Eurozone works. Well the good thing is that um, even though as we now discussed in the narratives, and there might be competing narratives on this one, it seems that we did agree at the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance level to actually then move toward, or move towards tackling both of these issues at the domestic level and also systemically, but um, um, for me the, the the three points that I would like to make is that so it, it seems to me that we all agree that, for example, in terms of EMU, if I'm just now focusing on, on that one because I think immigration defense that is super interesting, and I hope that we get to move on, uh, but I'm not particularly an expert, so let me focus on the EMU that I think is, the, is really the project, the, the project that will define uh, the European Union for the next decades to come, whether and which direction uh, it will end up going. Um, so it, it seems that at the, at the MEP, at the, at the government level, we basically all agree that there need to be changes, that the EMU is not ready yet, uh, and those changes need to be implemented. However, it seems also based on this one that within the national, uh, the member states, for example, these three ones, there's a really wide dispersion between the opinions um, within their own national systems on what exactly is it that should be done. Um, Though, on the other hand, we also have to take into account that, for example, in Germany was now the outlier, I think to a large extent it was the outlier due to the strong almost minus four on on everything, on AFD, but nonetheless. Um, And then, if we know that we need to change, but we don't quite know what we need to change, then the third thing is that we really need to have a high level of trust between each other if we then want to move uh, forward uh, with changes that can be in the short term, either economically or politically, um, let's say painful for for some. And that, to me, seems to be the issue uh, right now that due to the fact that we don't necessarily share the story in terms of like what got us in, in here, it seems that we don't yet, it, it makes it very difficult for us also to build trust now to actually understand that the countries are not trying to benefit from each other, that they just have a very different opinion on how they got there and what needs to be done now so that we can all uh, collectively be better off, off afterwards. And the dilemma for me is that looking also at the, the, the media narratives and how different they are and knowing how much and how strong impact they have on the narrative among citizens which will then guide the politicians and will make reforms either more difficult or far more uh, easier that that is um, the the issue for us like how can we in general now build trust and, and change the media narrative so that it would actually be positive or conducive towards uh, reforms and bringing us back together and then how can we build the same kind of a trust within these member states? So to me it seems that we have a political dilemma that we first have to um, solve within the countries and only thereafter we can move to the
0: level of between the countries. Thank you, thank you, Juha. Uh, so oh, the issue of trust, as you say, it's fundamental here about, uh, about the moving forward Part. I mean, even mm-hmm. if our analysis is more about a perception level, it's more about, uh, ab- about understanding what is, uh, what is the common ground, the issue of trust is definitely uh, yes. one of the ways in order to uh, move those. I mean, what Laura was also saying, how do you shift the narratives mm-hmm. and the difficulties in shifting in narratives when they are so much uh, rooted into, in, into beliefs. Yes. which are uh, Which are somehow uh, partially grounded on reality and the effects that uh, some of the policies have on the ground, partially on uh, uh, the construction of the narrative itself yes. that is self-fulfilling. That's so been- it's a very interesting. Uh, uh, point and a very fundamental point in yes. the crucial moment w- that we are now, you know, that is uh, the tipping point before the European elections and, and, and seeing. What
2: you you are yeah. said about trust, I think it plays really a role. Maybe that's a nice way to reinterpret how p- the perception about risk sharing, what involve risk sharing, whether we okay. would agree. But just to come back also to what uh, Laura said about the common narrative, like the the general blame gave us the complexity in the details. It's also very interesting to see how when we break down to policy questions, it's totally different than just a general perception, right? And you also add these keywords where mm-hmm. I think maybe the more you would add, maybe that would become also very complex about how yeah. you are. I mean, I would add also that
3: um, I mean, got, it's 12 years of media coverage. Ten. 10. 10 years of media coverage. That's an awful lot, a long time. Mm-hmm. And the work on future EMU integration is going to have to be done more quickly than that. I mean, it won't be done more quickly than that because it's Brussels, but they'll need to get on with it more quickly than that. Mm. And we haven't got another 10 years to change the story, so it's potentially very tricky. I think the other thing, when you talk about trust, there's also empathy. Like, I don't think it really helps when you see these, you know... The advantage of, of Europe now is that people do speak several languages or it's easy to translate. You know, if you read the blame game in other people's national newspapers, it doesn't help if you know, you're sitting in a Southern European country and you have, I mean, I think wasn't it Diesel Bloom who got into trouble for saying that the Southern countries had spent all their money on women and wine yeah. or something. I mean, you know, doesn't help. So I do think that's a sort of the sort of the, the, the digging in that we see on these narratives don't help either because they actually entrench hostility to them as well so in terms of how to shift them personally i think it's going to have to be done not at a national level but within the subgroups but i think that's very very hard to do because actually they don't tend to get the share of voice in the same way this idea that you have united italy or united germany or united greece and that there's one position no there isn't but the you know how do you get the complex views out i'm not quite sure
2: I think one, maybe also one interesting aspect is maybe the agreement we have on immigration and defence is more of this common narrative mm. also, whereas when we come back, as you said, to specific about the EMU, for instance, I was thinking about the European Disposit Insurance Scheme, the fact that people disagree, well, maybe they don't think this is the same problem across countries, so I think that's also interesting.
3: Yeah, you're right, actually, I had, and that was something that I had written down and I did mention it, is that everybody takes this, the EMU story very personally. Mm. You know that, like they are the centre of their own psychodrama. Um, you know, each country is at the centre of it, rather than. Of, and yes, there's blame for different actors within that, but it's very much this is happening to me. Um, mm. And with the and there's not. An, it's a very. It seems feels like a national thing, even though it's not. And then when you look at, I was surprised by the immigration um, result. I was obviously very positively surprised by it, but it seemed to me so out of tune when you look at the fact, you know, the difference of opinion on EMU, which to me is so obviously an area where you really need to be cooperating more.
0: But the thing with the migration question is that it doesn't go that deep in terms of saying what exactly mm. it should be done. So everyone, it's easy to agree that we need to do more at European level about migration, but then the positions about what to do at the European level about migration might be totally divergent yes. when you dig a little bit more into, into mm-hmm. the topic. Um, I'm starting to receive very interesting questions from, uh, from the Slido. But before I go through, not only there are not only questions, but also some interesting observations. Uh, I would like to ask the other authors of, uh, of the study if they have anything else to add uh, before we, uh, we move uh, to the questions. And I'm looking The microphone at, is coming, yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe just a correction to what you just said uh, at the end. i mean, because oh, sorry. Because you were saying that, I um, mean, in a sense, it's very easy to agree on immigration. But then, of course, it has to be very specific what it means. Uh, in this particular case, the, the, the question was quite precise. I mean, okay. We are saying not only that they have to harmonize uh, criteria to accept refugee, but also that uh, the European level should be able to decide where this should be allocated. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, you know, it's very, very precise. Very deep and very precise. So On that point, uh, somehow I disagree with you. Of course, uh, what well you can say that the three countries, even if they are the, the, the most, uh, I mean, the most populated and the most important in terms of GDP, say, mm-hmm. uh, they are not probably representative of what most, many other countries
5: in Europe uh,
1: think about this issue, particularly right. the east side, as we all know.
5: Maybe uh, two, uh, two brief comments, I mean we discussed uh, a lot in the group what, uh, what all of this implies also for the outlook after the next parliamentary election, the UEP election and one insight is of course this interesting split in this new anti-establishment parties. Right? Mm-hmm. So that they are no, not at all a monolithic blo- block but you have really a northern European type of uh, populist anti- anti-establishment which is very much against Europe, against solidarity and then that is a southern European type which is very much in favor of course I guess because the expectation is they will, they will pay for, for what we intend to do. Huh? So uh, this just uh, means that it's hard to imagine that they will be, uh, have a high capability to act. The second thing, that's a very personal um, interpretation of the results, a negative interpretation on, on the parliamentarians' view on EU e- reforms. Politicians in all countries, they, they seem to go for the cheap answers like more investment because it's so easy to say to the voters, so attractive, more investment, but, but they, they are united against going the difficult reform work like labor market flexibility, structural reform. Uh, so to my, in my view, uh, it's my view, not so much. Uh, so it's very much uh, going for the cheap answers. So that's uh, somehow wrong. <laughs>
3: Politician goes for cheap yeah. answers, yeah, yeah. shock, horror, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: just to add another couple of points, I mean, Try to be a bit more positive, but there are, and I was a bit surprised on some issues. I mean, there seem to be uh, really some conventions. So, for example, uh, about this idea of giving uh, the, the the right to the Parliament to start initi- legislative initiative, this is one of the things which I think that is a, a right to reform, and I think there would be a lot of agreement, even on the fact of having. The, um, uh, moving somehow toward a more possibility to de- to decide the taxing issue that there was a lot of uh, of uh, you know, agreement. So and uh, 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 even in the euro area, I mean the euro area we were all expecting this kind of conflict between Germany on one side and France and Italy on the other so there was no surprise. Frankly I was surprised by the fact that for example we have been pending with the banking union for many years but apparently there is not so much uh, I mean, in what you, you mentioned before, I mean, if you eliminate the populist party, I mean, even, even if slightly, but there is a slightly support to finish, finally, this banking union project, which has been going on for years. So, I mean, in, I do see also some positive message, let me say that.
0: Good. Uh, I would like to read some of the questions that we received from uh, our uh, Slido, from the people online, and, um, and the people in the room. Uh, so uh, first question, which uh, was, uh, was very much popular, was uh, what is the value in looking at these issues on nationality alone? Uh, aren't there regions in different countries that shares values and opinions? Which is- uh, which is something that, um, that can be interesting to, to look at. I mean, I, I will read some of the questions and then we, uh, we discuss. I will not go question by question.
3: Can you put it back up on the screen? Because yes, it was there yes. and it's disappeared. It would be useful if we could see them on the screen.
2: It was there. Okay, yes. perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the second, but the, obvious, the obvious question how are you planning either, pro- or either project to look at data from online platforms? Beliefs derived from Facebook mm-hmm. are much more influential than press. Um, And then did you make a comparison between the survey results of parliamentarians and the official policy positions of their parties? And then a last question without votes, but interesting. Do we need to wait for the next crisis to reset the narrative and see any substantial step forward forward in the European Monetary Union? Um, Probably, I mean, I will comment on some of the questions because they they relate to... uh, to the first study, um, definitely definitely, uh, looking at online platforms, uh, it's something that is interesting that should be done. Um, on the other hand, on the specific case of the study that we did on uh, a decade uh, when uh, Facebook was uh, barely existing, uh, uh, starting to exist in 2007, uh, we used, uh, it was a choice to use the national newspapers as a proxy, uh, as I said at the beginning, and also a little bit as a disclaimer, it's not because uh, uh, we thought that uh, the, those nation newspapers were uh, uh, being uh, the main the, the representative of all the public uh, opinion, but because we had to have uh, re- reasonable, uh, comparable data among the countries on uh, a reasonable amount of time, which was uh, the decade from the crisis on. But definitely other kind of studies uh, can be done about uh, about the sentiment analysis on Twitter. We did something on Twitter, for example, or, or Facebook. but We did something on Twitter when it came to uh, the Brexit referendum. Uh, we did an analysis on uh, the year and a half before the Brexit referendum to see a little bit the public opinion in, um, in the UK and we found out that we could have predicted the results of the referendum uh, much much closer uh, with much closer uh, uh, gap to, to uh, from uh, from the actual results than um, and the uh, than some polls and and other uh, um, systems that were used before the actual referendum to predict the the results so it's just uh, just uh, um, okay. Okay. Yep. So
2: let me just quickly comment on the on answer on some of the questions. So the first one about with the nationality alone versus some regions, right? So let's see how many answers we have from the MPs of the different regions. But of course, it's really interesting and we would love to do this. So the second point is more about um, whether IFD is needed to drag on the negative part always. And actually, um, I said it, but let me just repeat it, only for two questions, I have these actually dragging in the negative territory. That would stay in the negative territory for all questions for, for Germany. And as you point out in the question, actually the the, the conservatives, the CDU, is actually not very much in favor. That's why this is uh, not becoming positive, whereas the socialists are more in favor. Because let the, me,
5: uh, yeah. One thing, the AFD just says 15%, so it just has a weight of 15 Germany. Exactly. So exactly.
2: And also, for instance, on the European unemployment insurance, you have a divergent view between the socialist in Germany and the conservative in Germany. So this is also something that I guess you are you are guessing the question. So the, about the online things, so this is very interesting. So we haven't done for this, but let me mention since you mentioned Facebook that I'm currently working on a different project for the Yellow Vest jaunes and Facebook is making our life incredibly complicated to get access to the of data. Course. And of course, but for that. democracy reasons I think at some point that would be very interesting. We have administrative access to very confidential data like tax data that would be very good to get access to this. Mm-hmm. And finally on the uh, narrative, so this is an open question. Yes, so
0: well, the, f- the fact that Facebook is making very hard to access the data, which is a common question, it's also due what happened with Cambridge I mean, Analytica and I mean, so on. So, sure. is there is a you know, there is a big debate sure. over there but about how asked, yeah. the research community uh, can also access certain data and so on. It's, it's a sure. huge methodological it's, and sure. privacy but issue. We have that, like uh,
2: administrative data on the tax tweet, the tweet, that are very confidential, yeah, yeah, exactly. and we have. Yeah. So we Indeed. could we could do something. Yeah. Uh, you are? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry.
4: Go. Yeah. In terms of the, uh, I'll just focus on the last question with regard to resetting the, the narrative. Um, I think that there is a real opportunity um, for uh, for resetting the narrative, and and that is basically like you know if you look down if you look back now the last say two or three maybe three years be too much say the last year and a half. Of the reform efforts that have been efforts that have been um, done by the by the eurozone as a, as, a, as a whole, so there have been like in general there has been this effort of trying to find a balance between risk sharing and risk reduction. So like you know moving on both on both of them at the same time, so that we can come to whatever that X point mm-hmm. is where they cross, and politicians on both sides can be like, listen these guys have done tremendous efforts in either convincing their people that we need to have more risk sharing, uh, that we will be all better off if we do this uh, this sort of like leap of faith, or vice versa. On the other side, these guys have gone through tremendous efforts to reform their labor markets, reform their structures, and hence now we are in a point in which we must have, again, that trust with each other to actually take the next step. Because like without that next step, we will be in those sort of like halfway house where we get to benefit from parts um, of what the EMU is bringing us in terms of, for example, lower, lower interest rates for, for those countries that are not the biggest necessarily, right, like my own, for example. Yet at the same time, since we don't have all the safety mechanisms, we're still in this, um, in this region in which we can be, um, with market pressure, actually pushed on the wrong side of the line, so to get to our, Uh, get to a crisis. So, I think there is a real opportunity. Now, it it comes down to really finding those couple of leaders and whether, for example, it will be uh, Mrs Merkel and Mr Macron, I wish it will be. that The two of them can be the ones who will be symbolically representing these two camps being like, they are doing tremendous reform, uh, reform efforts. They are doing tremendous efforts in order to convince everyone that we are all on, in this together, and we can move to the next stage with regards to EMU, and we can move away from this very well. Emotional is not a bad thing, but like this sort of juxtapositioning narrative in which the South is bad and the North is also bad in the sense that they don't support and the one is spending too much, and we need
0: to move from from this one. But I w- I w- Massimo, do you have something more on the, those questions? Yes, well, yeah.
1: well no, not on that particular question. I wanted just to answer to one of the questions. Yeah. Was there, but yeah. Did you make a comparison with the survey result of parliamentary and the official policy position yes. on their part? And then perhaps I also had a question on your research, if I can ask. Okay. If, going back to, the, to that question there on the blackboard. And um, I don't think that, um, I thought that it was, uh, I'm talking about Italy, but then you might perhaps answer for the other country, we didn't do it uh, uh, specifically. I mean, so we didn't make a comparison between the office position and what no. the parliament would say. But let me say that I'm not surprised at the result. I'm not surprised for the legal order, I'm not which is very much close to, goes the same direction than the other public parties. I'm not surprised about the socialist order, for example. I'm a bit surprised, if we go back again to the the point that Pierre was made at the beginning, about the result of the Cinque State in the sense that very few of them actually answer. And the point is that if you ask me which is the policy position of the party on that issue, I don't have an answer because they seem that they have changed their minds several times from the beginning. Last year, apparently, they wanted to find an agreement with Macron, they want to run together with Macron in the European election. Well, six months later, they are going to talk with the Gillette, the yellow Gillette. To the I, I don't have an answer, but I think it's very difficult to, give, uh,
4: to answer to this question. OK. Oh, can I just say a quick thing on, on that one?
0: I w- y- sure, but then I would like to have a, a last round of questions from, from the people on the, on the mm-hmm. floor. Just,
4: just very quickly with the, with the gentleman, I think this is part of the, the very big difficulty finding that new trust for the simple reason that politics is changing so incredibly rapidly. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it seems that in many countries they are changing in a way that is unforeseeable for us six months before. Mm-hmm. And hence, if you promise me now something that, listen, let's do this together, and you know, like I'll bring this side to the table, you will bring yours, and six months later, I'm not sure if you will even exist in the map anymore. It's a very difficult mm. thing to make that kind of a fate, take that fate of it. Mm. I'm not saying that this mm. will stop
2: everything, but this is just something that we need to take into account. Populism does slow us down. Indeed. And, and maybe what's, what's interesting is that with the new election, European election, we will see what is in the party manifesto also for this party. So it will be interesting to compare.
0: Mm. So maybe a few questions from, uh, from the floor. The microphone is arriving from the back. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, please, please. Yeah.
3: Thank you. Um, Stephanie I work for the European Central Bank, but I'm also here in a personal capacity. And still, my question would be: I mean,
0: I re- agree very much. it needs to be national leadership on EMU reforms. We need to have an agreement, in your area and your group, etc. But still, when we look at the the um, The newspaper analysis, you see that the public debate is very much shaped also by national leaders with their national views and their national narratives and this tends to be blaming someone else. Mm -hmm. How can EU institutions or how can EU leadership be more present in these national debates and maybe bring in kind of the more Euro or European views in these very national centred uh, debates? Thank you. They take a few more questions over there.
3: Yes, hello, Laudres from Eurodiaconia, social NGO here in Brussels.
0: Um,
3: I wanted to ask if there, if there was any possibility to compare your results with the actual uh, known polls or results of polls with the national
0: population of these countries and the citizens. Because, for instance, on the uh, employment, uh, unemployment insurance scheme, there was a very interesting study by, done by Frank van den and associated colleagues, where they showed that the uh, German citizens, for instance, support such a scheme. So, ha- how far have you gone into comparing this result with the citizens' opinion? Thank you. Thank you. Some other questions? Mm, doesn't seem the case. So, maybe we can start uh, with. Um, with our Stephanie from the European Central Bank, <laughs> uh, EU in national debate. I think that this is uh, uh, coming into a broader question, which is about the absence, which was one of the first. Uh, uh, re- you mean f- first statement? Like, is there a European <coughs> public opinion or not? You know. And uh, is there European public space uh, and a European media space that is going beyond the national debates and vice versa, how this European space uh, public debate could, could uh, permeate the national level? And uh, that is a little bit what the research wanted to uh, show beyond the actual results on the, on the euro crisis, uh, which were specific on the topic, was to show that actually we are still very far from having a European public opinion and from having European media space. Uh, and I'm looking also at Laura, w- mm. who, who who might have some interesting comments uh, on that. And this is, uh, first of all, this is uh, a big issue, not just about how the European institutions need to have their communication strategies and, uh, and trying to, uh, to get inside the, the 27 uh, uh, media space, media national space, which is, which is a challenge. It's actually a challenge for any European institution. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge for Bruegel itself, when, when uh, being not uh, uh, a research uh, institution that is in a specific member state, but we are addressing 27 uh, different mm, you know, uh, uh, national, uh, national audiences. Uh, the same kind, the same kind of uh, uh, challenges that that you might have on a bigger scale for the EU, US, for for other uh, organisations, non-profit organisation that tries to create this uh, this European debate also at national level. So it's a wider it's a wider question. We are actually trying to to explore a little bit further, also uh, historically, to see a little bit how. Uh, from from you know even from after the Second World War to to today, this debate around European issues have been played around on on these two about how it, the two levels have been interacting and you know is it accelerated. The fact that European news are more national news does this. By itself means that uh, uh, there is a more European space or not. It's it's all complex questions, but also there is the question of the fact that there is no actual common media, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and this is uh, also for a totally different debate. But uh, but it's a very interesting debate to, to have um, on people's polls. Uh, maybe uh, yeah, so, Pierre uh, can. Yeah, it's know, a very can... interesting
2: question. So I'll actually. Initially, we started also surveying the Member of Parliament because we have the Eurobarometer since 1973, and but we didn't know about the Member of Parliament. So. But let me mention that the questions that are there, some of them relate to what we have and other not. For instance, for immigration and defence, we have very similar questions at the Eurobarometer and they are really going in the same direction. Now for the you are asking about the European unemployment insurance, I don't think that this question specifically is in there. Um, maybe we should check again, but it's true that we could look at the national opinion. So you were mentioning that in Germany there is more favorable opinion towards this. Um, this I don't know, but this, is a, this would be very interesting to see the difference between the representative and the and the, and the election. Yes,
5: what we presented today are really the first descriptive results. We have more plans to do so. We are very grateful for this. What we did with the preceding study uh, for the German Bundestag and the French parliaments. We compared the relative influence of party difference and national difference. I think it was a very important insight that party difference matter much more than national differences. So this uh, is a positive message about the you know, normal politicization of views that is stronger also between the traditional left and right than between Germany and France. And, uh, mm. We are looking forward whether these results will be confirmed also for, for the data including the Italian, the Italian ones.
2: And Fredrich... Um Drop the policy yeah. brief outside of the room when you get out. You take a copy.
0: Very good. I would like to have a last round of comments from uh, from the discussants as well before we wrap up. So, Laura.
3: so I was just going to pick up on your point actually. Um, so I agree with what Giuseppe was saying, but I think in the absence of a common European space, you have to kind of look at what works in the reality. And obviously, I would like to think that not all countries are like my own um, in terms of the media, which is that every time somebody from the EU opens their mouth, they're called the Great Satan by 60% of the press. You know, I mean, I can see why people just wouldn't want to go anywhere near that. But I'm assuming that other countries are generally not quite as rabid as the media that I come from. So I think there's more scope for actually trying to work. At, you know, national governments need to be more open and generous about inviting more EU leaders whether it's from a senior level but also right down to the MEP level from different countries to come in. I mean I've done various workshops with people from across Europe where they don't know who their own MEP is. I mean the bar is very low in terms of inviting any kind of eu representation in and you have these great offices of the commission even or of the parliament but people don't know anything about them we're seeing move across europe to have more things like citizens assemblies on contentious issues where ireland do a lot of them we're seeing them in some other countries now um, juncker does these things where he meets members of the public and they debate issues i don't see why we couldn't see that replicated a lot more across Europe in a much more mixed way. And then I get to say something very rude. One of the reasons why we don't hear more about the EU is a lot of the time the people aren't just up to the job in terms of being public face. They might be very good at being behind the scenes but they are terrible speakers culturally um, this is where it becomes difficult is that you have people who are talking perhaps in it's not I, and i i say this because i come from a country where people speak no languages but the problem that you have is that if you have people speaking in a second or third language that places its own constraint on what they can do then you get d- different cultural attitudes to what actually we like and we don't like so i think it's a there's a huge pressure Um, But also, I think that a lot of the time, and it's changing a bit, but too slowly, is that we aren't actually seeing enough investment, and I'm not, you know, in the kinds of people that we need to be those faces. It's kind of one of the reasons why I really want Vestigo to be the head of the next commission, because I think she's one of the few people who could cut through, and I think we really need that right now.
0: You are. On, on Who might think that the next uh, president of the commission should be someone else? Well, you
3: know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything about it. I'm not saying anything. About
0: and this is not an electoral campaign no. uh, event, so I want to be sure that uh, that we are all staying on a neutral ground over there.
3: I was talking purely about telegenic stuff here; they're not political.
4: Uh. <laughs> Yeah, we might have a slightly different opinion on that one, but not, let's not go to that one. Um, yes, your point on, on the EU. Um, I, I agree with this one, just a maybe slightly different point of view. I think Tusk has been doing a fantastic job in making European Council known. Mm-hmm.
3: And, okay, maybe has caused some offence in the UK, but at this point... Uh, actually, if we're, mm-hmm. about, if we're talking about splits in countries, half the country loves Tusk. And half the country hates him, so there you go, we've got splits again, remember? Well, I I think he has been doing a
4: fantastic job in the sense that he actually gets into these debates also at the national level. So the fact that EMU discussion is what it is and remains to be purely seen from the national perspective I think is a great example of the failure of the presidency of the Eurogroup as an institution until now. Then what can we do about it? There we have a set of diverging views, I'm not saying that. But, from my point of view now, speaking in my personal capacity, I don't think it should be the Commission, to be fair. Because, like, okay, Commission, normally, maybe, yes, the role is changing, it's becoming more political, and so on and so forth. Yet, the Eurozone, from my point of view, needs to be led by the Minister's, okay, personal point of view, and by the President of the the Eurogroup. Which means that the President of the Eurogroup, that role is essentially important. He or she, will need to be the person who, in the member states, takes part in that discussion and gives the general, or like the common good point of view. Uh, You know, coming to Finland being like, say, several years ago, like, listen guys, it's not black and white, this is not what happened in Greece. If we do X and Y, not only, yes, you will have to chip in a bit to a fund, but in the long term, we will all benefit. And this kind of a profile, we're missing. And that's the problem. Um, I don't think the ECB is the right um, body for it either, because I think no matter what happens, from my point of view, you guys need to stay above daily politics. Otherwise, we get in a lot of trouble in 20 or 30 years' time, as they will see, um, or as they are now expressing in the the States with regards to their, their situation. Which means that, from my point of view, the only option is that the president of the Eurogroup becomes far more visible. And this becomes one of the key things for that person to do. Then is that still compatible being a national national minister of finance? Don't know, depends on how good this person is and what kind of a team and resources this person has. Maybe it's not, maybe it is, depends how you do it. But This is the key for me. Without having this person to represent the common good of what these reforms are meant to achieve, I don't think we will get that far.
0: Thank you, Juha. And uh, on, on those uh, last reflections, I would like to uh, close the, the event and thank you uh, all of you for your participation and the active uh, contribution as well with the polls and uh, and the questions today. Uh, coming back to uh, the results of the polls and your uh, your placing high, your uh, your your choices on, on the migration as uh, a very, uh, a very uh, hot topic that uh, should be tackled at European level, I would like to take the chance to make a little advertisement for uh, another Bruegel event that is going to happen uh, next uh, week, on the 5th of March, uh, uh, on the right to asylum. Uh, which will touch some, not all, but some of the issues related to migration policy at the European level. And so on this uh, little advertisement note, I would like to thank all the speakers, the authors of the study, and uh, all of you, and have a good afternoon. Bye-bye.